I'm actually going to tell you guys about a mission trip experience tonight that I had. Um, this was actually, it was the, the first like major mission trip that Chi Alpha, this Chi Alpha at Angelo State University ever took. And there were, there were about five or six of us that got together and we went over to Nigeria. And so um, <clears throat> a few of us, we take this trip with a, it was a medical mission trip. And we are literally going out to the middle of the bush in Nigeria. I'm talking like on our drive out there, um, it had rained the morning before. And so the road that we were driving in on, we actually had to get shovels and dig out the road so that we could actually drive through to keep going where we were headed to, to go see this, uh, this orphanage out in the middle of a rainforest. We were in the middle of nowhere, y'all. I couldn't even show you where it's at on a map. We hit the airport and we drove for like eight hours and half of that was through trees in a jungle. No clue where we were. Middle of nowhere. <clears throat> While we're out there, um, we had been there for probably, I don't know, four or five days at this point, and the, um, the ladies decided that um, they wanted to go into town to the village, <clears throat> little local village that they had there, and, um, and we were going to go shopping. So they wanted for us to come with them and kind of experience Nigerian culture and see the village, and, you know, we're not talking about like Walmart, you know, we're talking about like third world country, like, you know, covered kind of sheds, you know, with people selling stuff in it, and um, it's, uh, it was, it was like straight up just raw, right? And so we're out there and we're walking around these villages. We're just kind of chilling, looking at everything they've got for sale. And it's like everything from just like thread to like food, to car parts, to like used motor oil to, I mean, it was all kinds of stuff, right? And <clears throat> as we're walking around, I keep getting this whiff of like death <laughs> and I'm like, Finally, I, 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 I locate it. And so, there are these ladies. You've seen, like, you know, you've seen pictures of these, these like African ladies that are carrying stuff on top of their heads, right? And these ladies are walking around with this flat board on top of their head. And on top of these boards, it's, like, perfectly balanced. They've got these little rolls, these little black rolls, like, stacked on top of one another, almost like Krispy Kreme donuts, but here's what they actually were. If you can imagine Krispy Kreme donuts just stacked up on this lady's head. She's, all of them are just walking around this village, right? And people are stopping them. They'd pick it down. They would, you know, sell whatever they've got. Finally, I realized what it was. I asked the missionary. I was like, dude, what is that? Because that smells horrible, <laughs> right? And, and he was like, oh, that's fish. And then I get to looking. You know how, like, fish, after it starts to rot and decay, it kind of turns black and get nasty? Anybody ever seen that? Like, meat will, like, get nasty, right? This is what every one of those fish look like. And so you can imagine the smell that came off of these, like, rotten, dead fish that these ladies are carrying around on top of their heads selling. So that was kind of like my first, in, you know, instinct that, like, we are not in America anymore, right? <laughs> like, so I already knew we were eating weird stuff, but up to this point, we had been eating a whole lot of this... Um, I don't even know what they called it. We called them big, ugly potatoes. Um, they were literally like potatoes that were like this big. Um, but it turns out, I got to asking about it, and I was like, Dude, what are we eating right now? And he got to explain, and he, on the bus ride home, we kept smelling this rotten feet smell. And every time we passed by this strip of white stuff on the side of the road, he would be like, hey, those are the potatoes, and I'm like, what do you mean those are the potatoes? Why do they smell like rotten feet, you know? And he, he, he explains to me that they're actually a poisonous root 
that these people have figured out how to um, dig out of the ground. They cut them up, boil them, allow them to ferment, rot, okay, <laughs> in, in these big drums, and they start smelling like rotten feet, okay, and then in this fermentation process, all of the toxins are supposedly filtered out of the potatoes, and then what they have to do is they have to slice them up thin and dehydrate them so that the rest of the toxins leave the vegetable or fruit or starch or whatever it was we were eating. And so <clears throat> this, what we're smelling as we're passing by is this like fermentation process, right? And then I figure out later that we've been eating this, these like poisonous potatoes all week long. And I'm like, I'm so glad they figured out how to, it looked like malto meal. Anybody ever remember malto meal? Like grits, you know? Like think of a grits, malto meal consistency. This is what we ate all week long. Um, and then they told us, hey, tonight, because we're, at the, we're going to the market, um, man, we're going to, we're going to eat a Nigerian delicacy tonight. It's going to be awesome. We're actually going to eat a little bit of beef. I was like, yes. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they have beef in Nigeria, right? So sure enough, on the drive home, we literally pull over on the side of the road. There is a half of a dead cow laid out on the side of the road. <laughs> And there is a dude sitting over there, no refrigeration, flies all over this thing, like trash surrounding him because we're in the city right now, right? And, and it is, it's gross, y'all. Like, I've seen that, I've, I've like butchered things, okay? Like, I'm okay with this, but this is literally a half of a cow <laughs> laying on the side of the road, okay? And as we go up, it, it, the, the, the dude driving the bus is like bartering with the guy on the side of the road. He's like showing him cash and the guy's like, with this dull knife, cutting off strips of beef. And then, here's the crazy part, there's like a Walmart bag, trash, laying behind him. He reaches around, picks up the bag, and starts shoving the beef inside of this nasty Walmart bag that's just been blowing around on the side of the road. Hands them to our driver, and our driver's like, "Uh uh-uh, we want more. They're bartering for more of the, I'm like, why are we even buying this? You know, like, (laughs) what are we doing here? But we were going to eat a delicacy that night. So we get back to the village, and we're eating dinner, and the delicacy is this. They're serving us beef and beans, because in Nigeria, what you normally eat is those poisonous potato things, and um, that's pretty much all that anybody has to eat around there. And so tonight, what we get is poisonous potato things with red sauce that had some beef in it. Really, it was like, if you were lucky, you got a sliver of beef because they bought like a pound of meat and fed 30 people with it, right? And so the the red sauce was cooked with some beef, but you were lucky if you got any. Um, And then they had beans, and beans were a big deal because they didn't grow beans there. So it was like a delicacy. We're going through the line. We're getting served our food. And I, you know, I got the white stuff and the red sauce with the beef, and I'm getting excited. And then we hit the beans, and they spoon the beans over, and I get this whiff. Now, <clears throat> what many of you may not know is that your mind has this natural tendency to remember smells really, really well. Did you know that? Like, you can remember smells better than you can remember just about anything else on the face of the earth. Well, when they served me that spoonful of beans, I got a whiff (laughs) of what they seasoned those beans with. And I was like, yo, one spoonful is enough. Thank you, right? And I just kept going. David Hooks, old life group leader for Chi Alpha, he's behind me. 
And he's like, mm-mm, give me some of them beans. He's Mexican, y'all. He's like thinking Mexican beans, right? And, and I'm sitting here going, that poor boy don't even know what he's buying right now, you know? <laughs> he's got no clue. We sit down, and we're sitting there, and all I can smell from those beans is those rotten fish that them women had sitting up. Turns out they used them rotten fish to season those beans with. <clears throat> <Mm-mm>. No. <clears throat> Now, at this point, we've been there for about a week, and you can tell by the food that we're eating, we're all losing weight, okay? Like, <laughs> we, we were not eating good in the neighborhood, okay? Um, and so, we're, we're sitting there at the table, and I am not eating those beans, but David Hooks is throwing down on those beans. He is going for it. So, like any good Christian man, I gave him mine, right? <laughs> I did not say a word. I was like, if he's hungry, we'll let him eat, right? I just felt inclined as a Christian to feed the hungry that day. Um, <clears throat> I never even told him what was in those beans till like a week after we got back like from the trip. He was like, I just remember them being good. I was like, praise God, dude, you know. Um, see, here's the truth. That was probably like in my life. Those couple of weeks we were over there was probably like the worst food experience I've ever had in my entire life. Like, and I've been on a lot of mission trips, y'all. <laughs> like, I've been to a lot of different places. And, and that story, it's, it's kind of funny in a mission trip context, right? Like when we're talking about bad food we've had on, on numerous mission trips, like how many of you guys, you can honestly say like I've eaten some funny stuff like on a mission trip or I went to a friend's house and their mama cooked me this stuff and I just wanted to honor my hosts and I ate some funky stuff, you know. Like we, we've all got those funny little stories, right? And, and in, a, in a mission trip context, it's kind of funny. I always think it's funny, by the way, to take Americans on a mission trip to like a different country and like we sit down for dinner and what they're eating is looking at them and they totally freak out because <laughs> in other countries you don't cut the heads off you cook it it's like a delicacy right and so you know you're eating a pig and your pig is like looking at you it's like uh, you know yeah they do the same thing with fish or goats or whatever it is you're eating that night right <clears throat> now on that mission trip to Nigeria I could have allowed that like horrific food experience to define every other mission trip opportunity that, I, that I've gotten to go on. I could have held on to that experience and for fear of eating some nasty, rotten, fish-tasting beans, I could have never been willing to go on another mission trip. And that doesn't sound like it's too bad when we're just talking about mission trips. But if we're being honest, we don't just have bad memories about mission trips, do we? Like for a whole lot of us, we end up with bad memories about things that matter. Like things that hit a little closer to home. Like if we're just being honest, we have some pain and some bad memories from things like marriages gone wrong. Things like friendships gone wrong. Things like abuses of authority or sexual abuses or racism. We, we have issues that stem from hurtful or or painful experiences. And these experiences aren't things that can just be forgotten or ignored. In fact, some of these painful memories just seem like they won't be forgotten ever. They hold on and they keep coming back to haunt us. And if we're we're honest, many of these painful memories actually have the power to shape our past, our present, 
and our future. Some of these painful experiences, man, they're not as simple as a bad mission strip food experience. Some of these are much more serious. Now, here's one thing I absolutely love about pastoring students. You guys in general are like super hopeful. Like you, you genuinely have a great outlook for like what's coming. You have dreams and destinations in mind. Like we have people we want to become, places we want to go. We got things we want to own. You know, we don't want to drive the jalopy forever, right? Most of us are, you know, most of us are believing that one day we'll see these dreams or these aspirations come to pass. And, and that's great about college students. Like most of you genuinely believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. That this semester is more promising than the last. Than the last. And even after paying years of tuition that's way too expensive to ASU, right? And paying for thousands and thousands of dollars to ASU's bookstore, even though those books won't get you anything next semester, they'll have a new revision. Um, I'm a little bitter there. Um, <laughs> you, you genuinely have like this destination in mind of obtaining a college degree. And you believe you're going to get there. It may take you four, five, six, eight, you know, whatever years to get there. But hopefully you will get there and you'll experience like a better life, right? You, you have these dreams, these, these ideas that you won't be a poor, broke college student forever. <laughs> there will be a day when this ends. We have dreams for deep, rich, fulfilling relationships. Maybe a wife or a husband or kids one day. Most of you have a sense of purpose that you're chasing after. But for many of you, there's one thing standing in the way of your desirable future, and it's your unforgettable past. See, the thing that stands in the way of your desirable future is the past you can't shake. I've seen this year after year after year pastoring students. The people with hopes and dreams and plans for the future, man, they, they have these hopes and plans and dreams, but the reality is, is that their past is what's keeping them from moving forward. And you may not want to hear this, but the truth, is, the truth is the most accurate prediction of your future is actually your past. The most accurate, accurate prediction of your future is your past. And I would say that that's true for every single person you've ever met. Like, we look at what people have done in the past, Take criminals. We'll take their previous convictions when determining their jail time. How likely are they to repeat these offenses? For every single one of you, the school or, or, or the program or whatever it is that, that you're in right now, if it's Howard or ASU or Goodfellow Air Force Base, listen, they looked at your previous school scores to determine how well you would do in their school. So we see that your past is a great indicator of your future. Unless there's some kind of monumental, transformational, big change. Some big event that gets in the way. If that doesn't happen, we're simply hardwired to replay the past. Especially when there's some sort of pain or hurt involved in our past. We have this natural inclination. In fact, at times it seems more like a compulsion that allows our past to deeply impact our lives. And here's the thing. Your past isn't really your past if it's still impacting your future. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody where you're, you're talking to them about that past event, that thing that happened way back then? 
or they're, or they're telling you about the comment that he said or that she said, and then they kind of finish the sentence, you know, they finish their story with, but man, that's, that's in the past. And you're sitting there going, no, actually, I can tell by the tone in your voice right now, that is totally not in the past. You are carrying that bitterness with you right now, and it is totally influencing you right now. Your past isn't in your past if it's still influencing your present. You ever wonder why you had a hard time developing and maintaining great relationships? Great friendships? You ever wondered why you tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again? Is it because we're not disciplined enough or maybe we don't want it bad enough? I guess that's possible, but if we're honest, I think there's a deeper issue at play. And the question tonight might be this. What am I still carrying from my past that's disrupting my desirable future? What is it that I'm still carrying from my past that is disrupting my desirable future? What I know is that what happened in your past, if it's not properly dealt with, is always going to impact your future. Unless there's a major change, major transformation, big event that occurs. So our key point for tonight, the thing that I want you to think about is that if you don't learn to transform the pain, you'll just transfer the pain. If you don't learn to transform the pain, you'll simply transfer the pain. Here's what happened to all of us. The pain that we picked up as a child, we carried into middle school or into high school. It impacts us there. And then we probably transferred some of that pain into our young adult years. In fact, the pain that you picked up in high school made you the college student that you are today. The next thing you'll transfer pain into is your friendships or maybe your romantic relationships. And then after you gather some more pain there, you'll transfer the pain into your marriage and then eventually your parenting. And you see this, like, this idea of this generational curse that goes on over and over and over again, when the Bible talks about these generational curses, it's so often born out of pain. You look at the, 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 the first, um, our forefathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you see this tendency towards lying that happens in every single one of them. And it's like it's just been passed down generation to generation to generation. <clears throat> Here's some things to think about. Bullying, abuse, closet addictions, miscarriages, abortions, divorce, broken family experiences, secret sins. All these things hurt us. And we've all got some pain in our past. And that, and that pain will have a tremendous impact on our future Unless there's a major change. You will either transform that pain or you'll transfer the pain. And it'll show up over and over and over again. What I'm here to tell you tonight, what I hope you catch, is that Jesus is here to transform your pain. Jesus has no desire for the pain in your past to get to disrupt your future with him.
If you're a child of the king, he loves you too much to not deal with the thing that hurts you the most. We talked about iniquities being overcome last week. We, didn't, we defined iniquities as, as the things that weren't necessarily sin, but maybe they were tendencies towards sin. They were things that might point us in the direction of sin. And this week, I want to look at the same verse that we used, but I want to look at it in terms of healing. It's Isaiah 53, 5. He says, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This was prophesied about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. And yet these are all of the things that Jesus wants to take care of in our lives. And tonight, if we're talking about overcoming pain, you must know that Jesus, his wounds purchased your healing. His wounds purchased my healing. He didn't just die on a cross for your sin. The work that he did going to that cross and the work that he did on that cross was actually to purchase our complete healing. Not just forgiveness from sins. That's important. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's the first step in experiencing Jesus and experiencing his healing is to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. There's this idea in Scripture, we, we, see this, um, we see this phrase, but God, used in multiple instances in Scripture. And it's a phrase that we see many times, but that it always points to like a turning point in someone's life. I picked out a few examples to show you what I'm talking about. In Psalm 73, verse 26, it says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's this reminder today that though your flesh and your heart may fail, maybe you're dealing with a physical infirmity, maybe your heart is discouraged at the deepest level of who you are, maybe you're dealing with this discouragement, this depression, whatever it is, but God can be the strength of your heart and your portion forever. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's this incredible reminder that regardless of how impossible things are in your life right now, you serve a God who's bigger than the thing, right? No matter what the situation is, you serve a God who's bigger than the situation. No matter how impossible life seems, God does the impossible. There's this third one, Acts 13, 29 through 30. This is the Apostle Paul. He, he said this, when they had carried out all that was written about Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Now, our God is a God who raised the dead. Literally. Literally. Think about that for a minute. See, this is, this is like the key to Christian literature. This is the key to the Christian faith. That Jesus died for your sin, purchased your forgiveness, but it didn't end there. God actually raised Jesus from the dead. He's now seated at the right hand of God the Father up in heaven. He is alive and well. We serve a God who resurrects dead things. Here's what I know about that. If God can resurrect dead things, he can heal broken people. Amen? 
There's no, there's no way around your past, but you don't have to be held captive to your past. God wants to set you free from your past. No matter how hard we try, we can't erase our past, but with God, you don't have to erase your past. You get to be forgiven of your past. You can be healed and restored, and you can overcome your past. Your past doesn't have to define your future. Here's the point. God wants to be the major change in your life that removes the power of your past from your future. God's desire is to be the thing that changes everything in your life. Have you ever, you ever heard that, that story about that person that literally, man, life was going this way and then this one thing happened and it changed everything? Can I be honest with you? You're surrounded by about a hundred of those stories right now. We call it our testimony. It's when God got a hold of us and God changed absolutely everything in our lives. For everyone that believes in Jesus, you've had one of those moments. But let me be clear, God never intended for you to only have one of those moments. Salvation is necessary, but salvation is the start. It's not the end to the healing process that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. Salvation is the start. It's not the end. It's the start of new life, not the end of your life. It's the start of a new relationship with God. It's the start of a new promise of eternal life. It's the start of a healing process, a transformational process that's directed by God that totally redefines your future so that your future is no longer impacted by your past, but, but, but the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is at work within you and is at work within your life bringing hope to your future. No matter what your past says. You have a promise from God that your past hurt, your past, your past pain, the guilt and the shame that is in your past, are no longer allowed to dictate your future when you belong to Jesus. <clears throat> Tonight I want us to look at one thing that I think is going to be absolutely transformational in the lives of some of you. Because we can sit here and talk about a hurtful past, and we can sit here and talk about a God that, that brings restoration and healing. But how many of you know there's, there's like, you have to bridge that gap? You can know the two things and not experience the two things, right? Those two things never have to touch if you don't let them. But when I look in Scripture, specifically we're going to go to James chapter 5, I see a portion of Scripture that seems to give us kind of a bridge between the two. I see this this idea in Scripture of confession that if we look in James 5, uh, verses 13 through 16, we see this idea of confession over and over and over again. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So... 
As I was reading through this portion of scripture, it occurred to me that, that in everything that James talks about here, he's pointing us towards confession. Check this out. Look at all the different confessions that, that James talks about in James 5. Number one, he talks about suffering. And he says, let him pray. Pray or confess it to God. How many of you know that prayer is communication, right? It's this idea of we talk to God, he talks to us, he responds. So we have this idea of confessing these things to the Lord. That's what prayer is. If you're suffering, pray or confess it to God. Number two, if you're cheerful, sing praise. Confess that to the Lord. Don't hold it in. Go ahead and confess it to the Lord. Number three, if you're sick, call the elders of the church and confess it to them so that they can pray with you as you confess it to God. You see how like it's pointless to call the elders of the church together and not tell them why you called, it, called them together, right? <laughs> it's like, hey guys, gather around, gather around. Awkward. <laughs> what are we here for? If you're sick, let them know. Why? Because you confess it to them and then they pray with you as you confess it to the Lord. Same thing. If you're dealing with sin, confess it to your brother. Who's going to do what? He's going to help you confess that to the Lord. There seems to be something with this confession. There's something really profound about confession that brings healing and forgiveness and, and praise. It brings faith. It brings restoration. Now, I assure you that confession isn't powerful just because you're talking about your issues. That's called therapy, right? <laughs> but com- confession is powerful in a spiritual context. And according to this portion of Scripture, confession is powerful in the context of prayer. Some of you have kept your past and the pain in your past so hidden You've never confessed it to anyone. In fact, some of you have tried hard to, so hard to avoid that painful area of your past that you've even pretended like God, who is all-knowing, doesn't know about it. So not only have you not confessed it to a brother or a sister that you love and that loves you, you've never even confessed it to the Lord. There's nothing magical about confession. Confession itself can't heal you, but what confession does is it invites God into the situation. See, confession is declaring to God that we need Him to do what we can't in our lives. Confession is literally praying to the Lord, confessing to the Lord, I need you to do something that I am incapable of doing myself. I've tried it multiple ways. I've tried all kinds of things. It ain't working. God, I need your help. That's what confession looks like. God, you know what? I've been trying to hide this for too long, but the pain just continues to return. Hiding it's not working. I need you to do something about it. That's confession. We need to be willing to confess our hurt and our sin. Listen, healing isn't found anywhere other than in the Lord. You ever heard the phrase that time heals all wounds? It's a lie. Time has never healed anything. Ravi Zacharias puts it this way. He says, time is not the healer, but the revealer of the healing that only God can do. What ends up happening 
when you rely on time healing all wounds is that eventually you notice the same pain that comes back over and over and over again. Those things you never transform by the workings of God or the healing of God will be transferred over and over and over again. They'll keep popping up, disrupting your future. I think some of you have experienced that before. You thought this should be easier by now. But it keeps showing up. Healing's not found in others. I don't care how much you talk it over or talk it out, it's not going to go away. The truth is it may become easier to talk about, you may even begin to grow numb to the pain, but that's just avoidance, not healing. Like you can poke at the wound enough that it no longer surprises you when it hurts. But that, that doesn't mean it's healed. Just because you learn to deal with the pain doesn't mean it's been healed. I will say this. Others, though they can't provide healing, they can be useful in pointing out the cause or the effect of the pain, which is super helpful at times, right? Like, we all visit a doctor to diagnose our pain. I got a busted eardrum a few weeks ago. I hadn't been able to hear. I go to the doctor, someone with some knowledge and experience about eardrums to tell me what's going on. Hey, would you mind taking a look at my pain and tell me what's happening here? Others can help in that way. I'll say this. Some of you need to surround yourself with some godly friends that are intentionally in your life because they love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. Because I promise you, your pain isn't hidden to everybody else. They see the effects of it too. Others can't heal you, but they can be very, very beneficial when it comes to helping you diagnose the real problems. And if they're godly people, they can help you confess it to God as well. And God, as we know, He is the great physician. He is the healer. He is the one that purchased our healing. I'll say this, you'll never find healing in revisiting the experience, revisiting the pain. What do I mean by that? Some people revisit past hurt by revisiting a painful experience on a certain date. It's on their calendar every year. It's going to show up the same day at the same time. And the pain's going to return every single year. It's the date that the abuse happened. It's the date somebody passed away. It's the date that they just relate to the pain. And mentally, it's on their calendar for the rest of their lives. And they're just hoping that by revisiting that year after year after year, it might get easier. Did you know at Thanksgiving, like during the Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday season, it's actually the time that depression is at its highest? Because people are reminded about the hurt and their pain in their life, especially concerning their family when those are supposed to be the family holidays and they don't have family Revisiting that pain time and time again won't heal the pain. I will say this. Some of you have experienced this through things like counseling and stuff like that. Revisiting the pain, it, it might be necessary to figure, out, to figure out why it hurts. Sometimes you have to dig deep into something to figure out what the real problem is. Um, <clears throat> I remember one time I got this splinter in the end of my thumb. And it sounds absolutely crazy, but it was in there for like months. And, I, and it like 
you know, skin grew over it and stuff. And I just remember, like, for the longest time, it just hurt. And I just couldn't figure out why. And I thought the splinter was gone because the skin had healed back, right? And, and what, actually, what I'd actually heard somebody told me is if it still hurts when you touch it, it means the splinter's still in there. Okay. So I literally got a razor blade and a needle, and I began to dig into my thumb. Sounds gross, doesn't it? After I dug down about an eighth of an inch and literally split my thumb open both directions, the splinter goes and pops up out of my thumb. I had to do a little digging first, though. I had to find what the problem was. <laughs> Literally digging. I was mining for a splinter. <clears throat> here's, what, here's what revisiting can't be or can't become. I was sitting with a friend, um, a parent, who was... Um, hurt and broken because their child was sexually molested. And this parent was sitting there feeling absolutely defeated because they didn't protect their kid. And what was actually happening was they were believing a lie from the enemy that was telling them they were a bad parent or that they didn't handle the situation correctly or that they didn't love their kid. In fact, it had gotten so bad to the point that this parent was willing to say, I don't know why anyone would trust me with their kids. Now, when you're the parent in the situation, and you're supposed to lead your kid towards healing in that situation, but you yourself can't even find healing, that's an impossible process. And this parent needed to revisit that one more time so that somebody could tell them the truth that they weren't a bad parent it wasn't their fault that I will sit there and say I've never doubted that you would care for my kids as you do your own and you're believing a lie from the enemy Here's what, I, here's what I hate seeing. I hate seeing people revisit pain. And instead of leading to healing, it ends up leading towards destructive patterns in their lives. Destructive attitudes, destructive behaviors. Um, it is the... Um, it's the drunkenness that comes along with remembering that situation. It's the drug use. It's the cutting that comes along with that. It's the porn addiction that rears its ugly head again. It's these destructive tendencies that follow revisiting. Why? Because the pain's never been transformed. It's never been healed. It's just been revisited. Those things aren't going to help us, and we deep down we know that. Deep down we know that. And I would encourage you tonight, especially if you find yourself in this place of having these destructive tendencies in your life. If cutting is your thing, I would encourage you tonight to confess to a brother or a sister that loves you 
I would encourage you to confess to the Lord what's been going on. And I recognize this is getting deep and heavy. I knew it was coming here tonight. I hope, I hope you hear my heart in this. That as a dad, I would want nothing more than for my daughters one day to receive the healing that they've received, to receive the healing for the pain that they had incurred throughout their life. That someone at some point would stand up and tell them, you don't have to deal with the pain anymore. Jesus made a way out. If I can tell you today from a father's heart, that's how God feels about you. Would someone please tell my kid over there that there's a way out? That the pain that they're carrying doesn't have to exist. That the price that Jesus paid was enough to heal their pain, to deal with the iniquity, to deal with the sin, to deal with the guilt, the shame. Every bit of it can be done away with because of what Jesus did. So here's what I want to do tonight. Um, I want for us as a community to love each other enough to kind of take a stand against the pain in each other's lives. Heath, what does that look like? Well, for some of you, it's going to mean confessing something you've never told anybody. And you, need to, you need to trust your brother or your sister enough to tell them about it. And for some of you, you need to confess it to a brother or a sister and you need to ask them for help to confess that to the Lord. And you need to pursue the Lord for the healing that you've been missing for so long. You need to get rid of the baggage and the pain that you've been carrying around. And you'll go, but Heath, what will everybody think? Well, let me just be honest. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have some junk in the trunk. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have some pain, some hurt, some experiences in our past that we just need Jesus to deal with. Because ignoring it's not working. What are they going to think? I think they're going to love you. In fact, that's my charge to every single one of us tonight. When somebody tells you something like this, you love them. You love them like their Heavenly Father loves them. And wishes that someone would tell them there's a way out. I love what Rick Warren says. He says this, The church is meant to be a hospital for the sick, not a hotel for the saints. We've all got pain and brokenness. And my hope is that tonight you'll make a choice to confess that pain and brokenness to the Lord. And that you'll join the rest of us in here that all have our stuff that we need Jesus to deal with. Because here's what we believe. We believe it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. See, in this community, full of truth and integrity and righteousness and the love of Christ, 
We believe it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Well, Heath, why would you say that? Because I know what Jesus did. I know the price Jesus paid. And I know the Father's heart. The Father's heart for you that says it's not okay for my kids to keep living like that. If I'm being honest, since I had kids, I understand more the heart of the Father than I ever have. I would give anything so that my kids didn't have to keep holding on to the pain and guilt and shame that I know is going to come in their lives. That's how God felt about us. So he sent his only son, Jesus, to pay a price that according to Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And that by his wounds, we are healed. If you've never heard the full story, before Jesus went to the cross, he literally took stripes from a leather whip laced with pieces of glass and iron. He took stripes on his back so that you and I could sit here tonight and ask for healing. That's what that verse is referring to. The work that Jesus did so that you don't have to be in pain.